podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the 26th episode of the Pirate Rugby Pod. We're now approaching 600 YouTube subscribers, so a huge thank you to everyone for tuning in. If you like what we do, please like, share and subscribe. Comments also give us a big boost and we always respond to each one. If you're only here for Thistle the Cat's shorts, stick around. You might decide you like rugby too. A reminder to check out our Substack, where we have just done an article listing our top five rugby stats that can be misleading. Uh, also, we want people to be aware of the uh, mini documentaries that we're putting out on YouTube. We've done Vaughn, we've done the two Alagis, we've done Finn Russell, and we've done even more than that. These are all two, three minute long videos that are an introduction to some of our favorite rugby stories around the world. Some of them have been really popular. So if you're just normally an audio listener, head onto our YouTube channel and check them out. You won't find them anywhere else. Anyway, there's no guest this week, uh, which will keep some of the people who like it when the show is short happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll just jump into our, our own little moments of the week. So Ender, what was your moment of the week this week? Mine was the viral one from after the Irish game. It was the obvious choice, but I think it was quite fitting. It was Joe McCarthy, um, 22 year old after winning Man of the Match in Ireland versus France and giving his Man of the Match medal to his younger brother who was there. Uh, I thought that was just a really nice rugby moment. Uh, you don't get to see that content often. I thought it was just perfect. And and he like the moment also just goes to his performance in that game. I think I, I mentioned it on last week's pod as well, just how I think this guy is special. Um, as I said, so young, um, yet had such a big impact. Um, you could see how strong he was in those carries. He was rocking the mullet. Not sure how I feel about it, but he owned it and he put in the performance to back it up. Um, but yeah, I just thought his performance in that little moment he had with his brother um, is something. Yeah, they're the type of moments you want to see go viral uh, from rugby. So that was mine. What about yours? So mine was kind of similar, really. So Alex Mann, uh, the Cardiff blindside flanker, got his first cap for Wales against Scotland. You could see he was emotional during uh, the anthems, which were wonderfully performed as usual. And he got a try uh, on debut from a rolling ball and he was throwing throwing himself into everything like an absolute madman. And it's kind of like the way I'd sum it up is how I should imagine a lot of fans would imagine playing their first game for their country. Just play it as if it's your absolute last game that you'll ever play in your life. I, I think he really did that. So fair play to him. And I hope he gets many more and uh, just... It's exactly as a fan what you want to see from the people representing you. So, yeah, I loved it. Right. Into the news then. So it feels like the majority of the news this week wasn't about rugby. It was about Formula One, which has gone absolutely mad. We've mentioned it a few times on this pod. We've had a Formula One guest on. Just Formula One just stealing rugby's thunder this week. Yeah. And they're about to release, you know, the, the latest season of Drive to Survive right before the beginning of the the latest Formula One season as well. So I think that's going to be like talk about timing as well. And um, like it's been in the news for a lot of good reasons, but also for some pretty, yeah, we won't get into it other reasons, but I'm sure everybody's heard. And um, But it's really putting F1 back on the map. It's been, it's been all over my feed. I don't know about yours, but I'm sure it has. It's been mad. It's been mad. Like the Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari thing. Like it, it was on, it's like the second or third story at the on the news on BBC News, which is like, and this has happened. It it, it kind of reminds you how big it is as a sport, doesn't it, really? Because you're right, for months it had been like everyone had lost interest. And now 
it's the biggest thing that anyone's talking yeah. about again. But anyway, I think it's what the sport almost needed though after such yeah. a like poor season last year, where it's just quite predictable. And it's it's mad that there's still another season to go. It's gonna be really interesting to see how yeah. how he reacts and and drives for Mercedes now. But yeah, yeah. looking but forward the, to it. The, the funny thing is, I. Lewis Hamilton fans and Ferrari fans are not going to get on. <laughs> they are two very different groups of people. Uh, and I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan, so I can say that. Um, but yeah, this it's the ultimate. Like, no one is bigger than Ferrari versus no one is bigger than Lewis Hamilton just coming at each other. And it's just going to be, it's going to be fireworks, but I can't wait. Anyway, we are not a Formula One podcast. So let's talk about some rugby news. So the big news that came out today was your man Jerry Flannery as is going to be leaving Harlequins and going to the box. What's your reaction to this? I've, all of the reaction I've seen from Irish rugby Twitter has been overwhelmingly pos- positive, but we do know that the Irish like to back their own. So what's your thoughts on it? Uh, well, first of all, he was, a, he was a brilliant player for both Munster and Ireland. Uh, he's always very informative, sticks to facts and that, like explains things really well. Um, seems to be a big hit with players as well as fans. So, um, really, really just impressive for him and, and and Felix Jones now. I know he's you know he was involved with the box obviously and he's gone um to England and we'll get on to potentially England's um defensive performance later. But it's just really interesting from an Irish perspective seeing two you know young and upcoming coaches doing so well and being recruited. Um, it's just unfortunate that they're not in Ireland and they're not um you know working for one of the Irish provinces. When you look at somebody like Ronan O'Gara as well. He's been away from Ireland for so long and been so successful from the Crusaders to Racing to La Rochelle. But the reality is, unfortunately now from a Munster perspective, is that if he ever does come back to Ireland, which I'm sure he will, it probably won't be to Munster. It'll be straight into an Irish role, probably the top job. And um, But it'd be great to see just more of these these coaches who are doing so well spend a bit more time in Ireland. But maybe that's what they have to do. Maybe they just feel compelled to leave because the those opportunities aren't there and um, but just just a, a really good story i think um uh, for jerry uh, flannery just on like the the concept of um you know you mentioned ronan o'gara they're going from um la rochelle potentially straight into the island job can, can coaches make the jump from being the head coach at a club to straight to being the head club coach at the national side because if you look at like the national coaches that are going around uh, Wales got Gatlin back in. We've now seen that Schmidt has gone to the Wallabies. Um, like Scott Robinson, Scott Robertson has gone to the All Blacks, but it's, so far he hasn't played a game yet, so we don't know how that's going to go. It, and obviously you've got someone like Michael Checker who changes the test team every three years or whatever it is. It feels like that it's getting a bit like at the bottom of the English Premier League now, where you've got the same faces all just going around and doing the merry-go-round, and like you've got someone like Andy Farrell who, okay, is a relatively new international coach, but he was coaching at international level for a good decade before he got that. Even someone like Steve Hansen um, was a national coach of Wales and then was an assistant to the All Blacks to uh, Graham Henry and then got the All Blacks main job. So do you think it's realistic for someone like Ronan O'Gara to go straight from La Rochelle straight to being the top man in Ireland? Or do you think he'll have to be he'll have to be an assistant first? It's a really interesting point and and it's just with with Ronan O'Gary he's just been so successful and he is really like I remember listening to interviews from him uh, when he initially left uh, the professional game to to become a, a 
professional playing game to become a coach he always spoke about you know this being the long game and wanting to to build up that experience now whether or not that's enough experience you know to to become a top national coach uh, remains to be seen he just does seem like one of those players or excuse me coaches who's just ready for that that next step I could be completely wrong but it just seems from everything you hear from from coaches from people work with him from players from people who know him former players who played with him and um, you know he, he's made for this type of thing and um, but that that's a really interesting point and maybe that will be his next move like maybe his next move will be from La Rochelle you know to Ireland attack for Ireland attack coach and defense coach who knows it just he's been just so successful at the club game you know maybe they'll he'll just be thrown in the deep end at international level and 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 a player like a coach like that would be ready for it but yeah. very interesting point yeah I wonder if he might go to someone like a I'm just picking a team at random here like a Georgia or someone and get experience at that level before they get now that's not trying to be disrespectful to Georgia but Ireland are obviously the number one team in the world right now so and I think obviously there'll be a lot of Munster fans who want to see him go back to Munster but I, d- I don't personally think there's much he can do at Munster to make him more qualified for the Ireland job than what he's already done has made him so mm. and you look at like Scott Robertson for the um all Blacks. He literally won seven back-to-back Super Rugby titles to be able to get that All Blacks job. That's what it took. Like he got passed over once for it. So yeah, it's just something interesting. And like I say, it just feels like it's getting. Like he, even Eddie Jones is still getting international jobs. So people, it's very rare that coaches make that step, at least directly. So it'll be interesting for me to to see how that goes and. I I just I'm not sure I can see him going straight into being the top man in Ireland. I think yeah. there'll be a step in between for me. Anyway, and, and also like Andy Farrell's not going anywhere anytime soon, so it's probably more likely that he'll he'll end up somewhere else potentially in that that top role, and then come back to Ireland. But yeah, it's very maybe replace point. replace Gregor Townsend in Scotland. That'd be funny. <laughs> you imagine? Yeah. Let's move on to some other news. So you wanted to discuss the wonderful world, which is definitely your expertise, and the wonderful world of uh, rugby stats. So you've yes. seen a bit of this in the news. So what's going on? Well, it's been doing the rounds a bit. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share my screen. So I haven't done this in a while. So I hope everybody can still see, and you can see all the thousand tabs that I've got open, which I uh, is me managing all of the different. Uh, uh, channels and things that one has to do when one is a content creator so can you see the screen i can indeed so i'm on i'm on opta johnny's uh twitter page so opta johnny so opta the big stats provider and opta johnny is the rugby version of that so they got they always have a name that begins with j so there's like i think opta joe is the football one or something anyway so the reason i wanted to talk about this is because on scrum five um which for our international listeners is like the the Welsh rugby version of Match of the Day. It's like the highlights program where they get all the pundits on and they give their thoughts on the Welsh game and things. And Sean Holly, the former Ospreys and Bristol's coach, um, came on that and he shows a new stat which is doing the rounds, which is expected points. So Opta have started providing this now. So I'm going to show the graph. So this is all from Opta. No, I didn't make any of this. This is all Opta's own stuff. Um, so. Oh, expected points. So in football, uh, some people might be familiar with expected goals. So expected goals is if a player takes a shot in this position, what percentage of shots taken from that position normally end up in the back of the net? It's ba- it's a percentage likelihood thing based on data that is gathered 
through a, a ton, like thousands and thousands of football matches. And I've often wondered, how are we going to start seeing this in rugby? And it is starting to be rolled out now. So the the punchline of this is that the point that Sean Holly was making was that according to expected points, Wales should have beaten Scotland by about 12 points in the Wales-Scotland game. We'll talk about the game itself later. So that's how this progresses over time. Now, in football, XG is a very divisive stat. A lot of people hate it. A lot of people think it's just nonsense. It's for the birds. It's like just stats for stats sake and things. Um, and other people, a lot of nerds in particular, swear by it. Like, no, this is the thing. And XG always comes good in the end and stuff. I'm kind of in the middle. I think the XG has its place, but I don't think it's the be all and end all. Now, this is new. Now, rugby doesn't have a kind of equivalent of a shot being taken. It's it's not that instantaneous for rugby. So that's why these graphs that I'm showing for, for video watchers are so linear, whereas in football, you would normally see it as a jump when each shot is taken. This is it's a, li, li, a linear graph upwards. So what goes into deciding what the expected points in expected points are is things like field position, 22 entries and what you would normally expect. So if you have a line out on the opposition's five meter, uh, there would be a percentage of line outs on five meters that lead to tries. And so that will go into the algorithm and they'll work out how likely it was for a try to be scored from that opportunity that Wales may have had. And anyway, so you put all that in and it spits out that Wales should have won by 12 points. I think this is an interesting start to this um, stat. Um, I don't necessarily think it's fully formed yet, and I think there needs to be a lot more education about how it's arrived at, because obviously Sean Holly got pelters for um, what he said on Scrum 5 and how it was nonsense, and like people were saying, anyone who thinks that Wales should have won that game, they need their head seen to, or whatever it is. It's... It, it needs a lot of explaining and maybe that in itself makes it perhaps unsuitable for wider consumption, um, just the sheer amount of explaining. But rugby generally needs a lot of explaining anyway. Um, yeah, so I don't know, mate, this isn't your kind of thing, I think it's fair to say. So what putting this up on the screen and me telling you all that and you're fresh to it, what's your what's your instant reaction to to seeing this? What's the, what's the first thing that pops into your head? It's just it, it's another talking point. It just add, for me, it just adds a little bit more intrigue, a little bit more, like a more of a talking point to the to the weekend's action. Um, it adds to the review of the game. Um, it certainly drives discord. I think I think it's a good thing. But I, I think you're right in terms of there definitely been a need to to fully explain how these things are reached so that people don't just automatically dismiss them. Um, but for me, they they definitely add to it, and this is exactly what other sports do as well. Like as you mentioned, football do this. So this that like this is an important development. Um, but like all things in rugby, like it, it is a complicated sport, so we need to make this information easy to digest. So I think you're right in terms of, you know, given that that perspective and and explaining how they get to these. Um, these for all for all of the, um, you know, snootiness that rugby has towards other sports at times. Rugby is still very much playing catch up to other sports, especially football, when it comes to integration of stats and uh, visualization of stats. So you've got there's a lot of stats in rugby, but I think only now are we seeing the people who do stats 
trying to visualize them in an interesting and digestible way. Like you see some stats people on Twitter, they just post huge tables full of numbers and you, yeah, it's not that engaging. And it's, you can't, if you have to like, if you're scrolling on Twitter and then you have to stop, tap on the tweet and then zoom in to properly understand it, it's not good. And it's not digestible for me. Sorry, go on. If you have to think. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's great that Opta doing this. So I'm going to show you a couple of other other ones quickly that they started doing. So uh, momentum graphs. So these are really common in football. They've been around for ages. So this is showing, trying to visualize at any point in the game who had the momentum. So in this particular example I've got here, Wales versus Scotland, you can see all the periods in reds where Wales had the momentum. And you can see it kind of picks up on Wales had the majority of the ball and majority of territory and possession didn't do anything with it. So that's kind of telling that story. It was a, I don't think it's fair to call it a smash and grab by Scotland, but they didn't necessarily have the best of the game from a statistical point of view. So I, I like this one. Like I said, footballers have had this for ages. This one I don't like. So this one is win probability. So this tells you um, at the different times during the game what the probability was of each side winning. For me, this just tells you what the score was. Like it, it tells you, oh, with a, a 15 point lead with 10 minutes to go, it was likely that that team was going to win. I don't need to see a graph for that. I watched the game, and I think for a lot of these stats, I think are interesting for data analysts. You know, and I've, I've spoken to a couple of other really proper, really smart data guys on Twitter who are like professionally qualified to talk about it, and they they find these things really interesting. But I think sometimes the nerds kind of lose sight of some yes. of the other people who, and it's like interesting for interesting sake. And there's like, there's nothing that this graph tells you that someone who didn't, someone who watched the game didn't already know. So it might be interesting from, for people who like graphs like me, but it's like a, a, a normal person who's just watched the game they don't learn anything they didn't already know about this graph. So I wouldn't go for this one. I'll, I'll see if I can find it dead quickly. Uh, the other one that I really like is the uh, goal kicking percentage. So this um, is one that tells you it's, it's much more like XG. So this is much more um, relatable. So this kick a goal taken from this position, what percentage would you normally expect to go over? And this, so this is really so it's like a map of the pitch. And it's got a circle where the kick was taken from and it's got a percentage readout saying 53% of these kicks would go over. This is great. And I would love to see more of this on TV because I think it's really digestible and it gives you a great impression of um, what actually happened. So Scotland were the only team at the weekend to get 100% goal kicking percentage. But we see from this that the hardest kick that Finn Russell had to take was a 78% likelihood of going over. So it was like nearly eight out of 10 times you would expect him to get it. So it wasn't that impressive where you can see a kick that Johan Lloyd took out on the touchline was only a 44% um, likelihood of going over. So that's actually a much more impressive kick. And you can see that the only kick that Wales had a goal that was uh, over 65% was one, which was the one that was dead in front of the sticks and everything else was a relatively low, low percentage kick. So this I really like. This is one I probably really like. Uh, Oval Insights, which is the other company, has also done a bit uh, this week about uh, doing a team team ratings, like a score out of 10. 
I'm not on board with that yet because, like for example, if you looked at Siakalisi's stats for the Springboks, you would say that he didn't do anything because his stats are always like one carry, seven tackles, something like that. Not, not impressive stuff. But obviously he did incredible things in the game because he's Siakalisi. So for me, just to summarise, new things are coming in the stats world of rugby and some of them are pretty okay-ish and some of them aren't quite there yet. That's just my thoughts. They just need to make them digestible and for me what I like about the data and how it should be used is when when you hear maybe an outlandish statement from a pundit or whatever they can back it up with some data that that's what I sometimes think a lot of pundits lack is just that data to back them up on I think the more we can do that and just make it digestible and not just to you know bore people to death with with just stats and figures when they can actually give examples and yeah I think that that can really add to it and I think that's where rugby is going you see a lot more you know content creator you know twitter pages blah 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 they're they're putting out more of this stuff as well so i think that that's definitely a good thing yeah and i'll just show you this now so we like i said earlier we did an article on this at the weekend so our, our top five misleading rugby stats um so that's just to intrigue you one of them in my opinion is scrum and line out percentage is a misleading stats potentially if you want to understand why that is there'll be a link to this article in the description below um, or you can find it on our Twitter or all the normal places. You can sign up to our Substack for completely for free. And it's in here. It's got lots of exciting things, graphs, tables. And we do one of these uh, long read articles every week. So up over there. Anyway, so that was that, mate. Um, what's next on the agenda? Oh, talking about actual rugby matches. <laughs> so um, we'll start with the first one. So Ireland destroyed France and Paris. I, don't, I, was, I did a couple of pods previewing um, the Six Nations. No one saw this coming. No one. Um, so what what was it like for you, mate, watching watching your team play like that? It was refreshing because I spoke a lot last week about how interesting it would be seeing how Ireland would react and whether they would change how they play, whether, you know, that, that loss to New Zealand was, you know, part of an overall issue with the Irish squad or management blah 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 which I'd never thought it was but boy did Ireland come out and play and they they seem to just you know they they just it, it seems that they just put that New Zealand defeat behind them they've just moved on they figured out what went wrong and they've gone over to France and you know done what hardly any Irish team ever do in, in the Six Nations over in France and they got a bonus point like it's it's just really hard to believe now we can discuss the the red card at length, but I think there would have been a pretty similar scoreline regardless of whether or not Filimsa had got had been sent off for those two yellow cards. I just think, yeah, it was just it was just so refreshing to see them react like this. Um and just seeing as well, you know, this was we spoke at length last week about Ireland without sex and can we do it? And and you know, Crowley came in, he wasn't perfect, he made a couple of mistakes as of course you're going to do when you're away, when you're playing away in France. But I thought he responded well to those he, um, mistakes. He, they, he didn't let them phase him. Um, you know, he took that, that you know, when he took the ball to the line and, and let um, burn through that gap, it was just incredible. Like he, That's exactly how Sexton would play. He'd take the ball to the line, give the pass to the last minute, draw his man and create the, the space for, for Burn to run through. I thought that was um, so impressive. And you're like, you can go. You can literally go through the entire Irish team from one to to twenty, 
you know, one to 15 for the starters and then for the subs that came on, I think they all had a, a positive impact. Just everyone just seemed to, to, to buy into what they were doing. And it was just, yeah, just extremely pleasing. I know I mentioned Joe McCarthy earlier, came in, did such a good job, lived up to the hype, put in some really strong carries. Um, he does give away penalties, but he does. He's just also, he's got that dog in him. And he just, you he, he can see him causing havoc at, you know, at, at mole time, at rook time, he's just there and he's present, um, just slowing the ball down, putting that pressure on. I think that, that's so important. Hugo Keenan at fullback. I almost, when I was doing the notes for today's session, I almost forgot about it. Like it was that, you know, two massive tackles in that game. Um, just like incredible. Um, I thought they just really put it up to France. Speaking of France, though, I don't know what ha- what happened to them. You know, again, we did mention last week, how would they react to getting kicked out of their home World Cup? They've reacted, obviously, poorly, getting hammered at home to Ireland, having a player, first of all, get a yellow card for a high shot, come back on, isn't upgraded to a red, come back on, make another high shot, get yellow card, it gets sent off, and then have that upgraded. Some players just have to start listening to their coaches and getting lower, or, or do the coaches have to do more? Because I think... You don't see Irish provincial sides. You don't see the Irish national sides. You don't see players from those teams get sent off for high shots. And there's a reason for that. They're obviously yeah. being coached. Yeah. So there, there, there's going to come a time where there are certain players, uh, not to go off the huge tangent, but I thought that was a massive a massive turning point, potentially in the game. I, again, I do think Ireland would have still won it, but there were definitely question marks about France. So many errors. They really missed DuPont. I can't believe he was playing at 10 for Toulouse on the weekend yep. that is just baffling but for and me I think they would have been relying on DuPont to dig them out of it I I think they were being beaten and if DuPont would have been playing it would have been like quick Anton do something magic to rescue us rather than it would it would have fixed their problems it would have just hidden them probably for me hmm. like what was your take on on the result did like none of us saw this coming. I did pay much to win by maybe a point, but I, no one could have predicted that. I was you, shocked. Like, you were shocked, yeah. Um, I felt France were. I felt France was shocked by um, the intensity that Ireland bring. You know, the Ireland maybe are the most intense international team at the moment. But if you look, if you talk about South Africa or about maintaining a level for uh, eighty minutes using their bench. Ireland are more about just playing the most intense way. And you know, you talk about when you talk about teams playing fast, you may think of someone like Scotland or Japan or something like that. But Ireland plays so fast. They're so well drilled. They're so organized. And the um, the roles that they have in the team, they all understand exactly at any one moment. This is what I'm going to do. And that's probably a lot to do with the big bulk of Leinster players who come up and make the step up and credits to uh, Andy Farrell, who made a big point about, no, I'm not refreshing my team. I don't believe in the four-year cycles. I'm just going to continue what I was doing before. And he's, that's really paid dividends. But I don't know whether there was kind of the French kind of assumed like, oh, no, yeah, we'll win this. Um, and maybe took it for granted a bit because they seemed really shocked. And it, psychologically, they seemed really affected, like at times in in the game. It felt like their just organisation and their skills just deserted them. I remember seeing like Fiku, Fiku just shoveling the ball onto someone at one point. And I was like, this isn't France. This isn't how you play. 
It's ironic, isn't it? Because we had David on last week and we said, well, the days of saying we don't know what France team are going to turn up are gone. And lo and behold, they're back. The, the team, the France team that we weren't expecting turned up and put in a poor performance, you have to say. So, yeah. yeah but let's it's just, just, just put it in perspective as well. Like, what a start. A Friday night game, 8 o'clock kickoff. What a start uh, to this year's competition. Um, and and let's and like it's unfortunate I think from like I was glad we'll move on to Italy in a second but to see them only lose by three points put in a really good performance in England it's tough on them going up now against Ireland at home next Sunday but France yeah. are away to Scotland and yeah I wouldn't be surprised after that performance uh, to see Scotland um, get a win there I don't know what you think but like especially for, from a defensive point of view the only thing is of course they're going to be pissed off um, Sean Edwards is probably going to give them an earful he definitely already has given them an earful so there might be that reaction as well but just for me what what a start to this year's competition after a, an incredible World Cup uh, had a really good domestic season so far as well I think you know just from a fan's point of view and now like what a way to, to kick off the 2024 Guinness Men's Six Nations. Let's move on to the next game, shall we? All right then, if we have to. Give us your spiel. So what happened? So like I, I, I couldn't believe I had to watch this game. Uh, unfortunately, not live. So I had to watch it on replay. But I remember just checking, you know, my app and seeing Scotland hammer them in the first half. It seems, and then I checked the final score and they'd won by a point. What happened? Was this just Scotland playing for 40 minutes and going to sleep for 40, or was this Wales just being awful and then Wales, getting Wales a bollock were, in a half time? Well, hmm. Wales were terrible in the first half. Like, there's people saying, like, oh, I've never seen Wales play that badly for 40 minutes. And Gatland came out afterwards and says, it's the worst 40 minutes he's seen from a side that he's coached. Um, Wales massively in their shells, um, stuck to tactics that weren't going to work. Gatland has kind of tried to pin it on the players a little bit, but I think he's got to take a fair bit of responsibility because the moves that they were doing, they were like replicating the same moves like within an inch, like multiple times over and over. And it wasn't working. So it's clear they've clearly had something drilled into them throughout the week. And then they went out there and it didn't work. Um, Costello's kicking wasn't amazing. He was stood too deep. But again, he was stood in the same place every time, which made me think that's he's been told to stand there. So, but then the kick chase wasn't particularly good either. Like there was a really daft penalty where Daft Jenkins was never behind the kicker and just advanced and just got pinged, and it was the easiest penalty to give you've ever seen. And then the lineout was an absolute shambles. Now, Welsh lineouts are never good. Uh, the, the, there's you know death taxes and Welsh teams not being able to do lineouts. It's just a thing that Welsh teams can't do. But it was particularly bad even for Welsh standards. Um, and then they came out. At halftime, Gatlin made a few changes. And then the first thing they did was they kicked the ball straight to Finn Russell, who played in his slippers in this game, by the way. Like, it was the easiest th- th- game that he's ever played by the looks of it. He didn't... He was playing in, literally in second gear. It seemed so easy, especially in the first half, because the way the Wales just kicked to him and he could just ping it back with interest. So uh, Thomas Williams kicks it to Finn Russell. He makes a half break, gets it to Duan van, van der Merver, and it's good night. Um so that try is scored and then Wales just go, sod it, let's just throw the ball around. And it was proper just like Jouet. And that's the kind of game that a player like Thomas Williams loves. That's when he's at his best. 
And Scotland got a couple of yellow cards and they just started standing off. And you've seen, I'm sure a lot of people will have seen the clips of Ian Madigan going, oh, you can see that they're fragile. You can see they're frail. Scotland did just start to just step back, give Wales that space. And they had two Pilotti sent uh, to the bin. And I, I've started to develop the theory and a few people have agreed with me is that the inside sensor is one of the worst players possibly to use to lose to a yellow card because it affects your defensive system so much. Like the 12 is often the defensive captain. And Wales just started finding the spaces. It was literally like nothing to lose. Just absolutely go for it. And it nearly worked. Four tries in the second half. Uh, Rio Dyer was excellent. He is a top player. Simon Ryan Louis, fr- friend of the pod. Simon Ryan Louis tweeted, I don't understand what all the hype about Faye Waboso was when you've got someone like Rio Dyer in your team. Um, might be a bit of Newport bias coming out there from Simon, but we'll let him off. And uh, Aaron Wainwright, again, another Dragons player, was absolutely sensational. Tommy Raphael was great. Um, and a couple of others as well. Can win it a little bit shaky, but it's his first cap, so I won't hold it against him. Josh Adams was playing on one leg. Um, but despite that, if you look at his stats after the game, it was he was still pretty damn good. Um, yeah, so just it's difficult, though, because we can't possibly if we're talking about what we're going to do next week or this weekend, we're more likely to play again like we did in the first half because you can't replicate how we played in the second half because it was literally just throwing the ball around. No plan. Just go for it playing against 14 men. And you can't set out to play like that every week because you'll lose. Because, like, Johan Lloyd came on to replace Sam Costello, who went off with the HIA. Johan Lloyd kicked twice in um, 45 minutes on the pitch. Like, they, that's not how an international 10 plays. Like, none of none of them. Literally not even Finn Russell or Marcus Smith, like, Maverick 10s. They don't play like that. So, yeah. So it's... People ask me, like, oh, what, what, what would you like to take forward from last week? Like, nothing, really. I'd like to just start again. And to be fair, and I've given him a bit of stick lately, Sam Warburton made the point, and Hugo Monia on the Robbie Union Daily thing, is this Gatlin's thing for, like, his entire coaching career has been pretty much how he played in the first half. Are we really going to abandon that after 40 minutes? That didn't go well. Just because of that, just, like, throw it out the window, start from scratch now? No. And then you talk about how England are going to play. The way that we played in the first half is going to be more effective against England because it's all about giving the opposition the ball and England don't want the ball. So, yeah, just... I mean, Scotland can be happy about it. History for them. First win in 22 years down in Cardiff. Fair play, I guess. Um, Yeah. I thought Finn Russell was very, very good. And when you've got someone like Duane van der Merwe who can just have a moment in the game, but that moment is scoring from 40 minutes, 40 metres. Fair enough. So, yeah, that's my summary of that one. Look, it could be the, the game of the tournament next weekend uh, with Scotland taking on France. You never know if Scotland play like that like they did in the first half. And if France play like they did for the entire almost 80 against Ireland, it could be a really interesting game. It's weirdly, um, start, it's it's suddenly now looking like Ireland's trip to Twickenham is going to be the thing that decides the title. Yeah. No team has ever won back-to-back Grand Slams. It's, it's, it's a never crazy happened. stat. Um, so all the I think, I think though, it, it, yeah, if Ireland do win this Grand Slam for me, it's a level of domination that um, Northern Hemisphere rugby has never seen. It's it's it would be an unprecedented feat if you win the Grand Slam this year. 
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Nice chicks weekend. Yeah. Shall we talk about... Let's talk about the big one of the weekends. Yeah. Italy, England. So you go first. What You caught most of this, didn't you? I did indeed. And I thought... Italy played really, really well. I we've def, seen definite improvements. I was, I think we all agreed on the pod last year that we could easily see an Italian victory, and they got very close. They missed a couple of kicks. Obviously, England had a chance to score at the end too, which you know put a put a different perspective on the the final result. But yeah, I thought that they played well, and for me, they haven't completely you know forgotten what Crowley um you know, introduce in terms of running the ball a bit from their own half. I mean, I thought they were smart in terms of like nine times out of 10, they got rid of the ball. They didn't play in their own half. But then when they mm. did, especially when they think it was the 25th minute when they scored the try, they ran that from inside their own half. Um, and they did it on a number of occasions, but nine times out of 10, it just felt like they, they got rid of the ball. So I just feel like they're playing a smarter game now. Um, and they really targeted forward in defence. I thought there, there, I don't know how many, I think at least three or four occasions where they ran straight at him and made ground. That's definitely a weakness uh, for England now. It's something they have to look at. And that wasn't the case uh, whenever Farrell played 10, because we all know he's so good in defence. Um, but from, from you know, I and again, I don't want to take too much away from you. Like a def, for me, saw improvements. They've, they've changed their game plan, I think, Slightly in terms of being a little bit more conservative, uh, kicking the ball a little bit more, um, but just playing, you know, a, a smart brand of rugby. Um, and I feel like they have a good pack now. They have, you know, they, they, they just seem to be gelling as well. It's just for me, it's just like maybe this is just, again, the opposition. But I just felt like this, it, for me, this didn't seem like a, a team who got absolutely smashed in the World Cup and who would just have a new coach come in. Um, you know, this is, and again, you know, a lot of people like us shouldn't be surprised really with, especially with, with you know, Ben Tonner seconded the ORCs ever having their best ever season potentially ever. Um, so it's not overly surprising. Um, but it's still just in terms of the coaching changes, I think it's it's definitely a positive step. But then from an English perspective, I thought like the discipline, handling errors, you know, those are things I definitely complained about. From an England perspective during the World Cup, I don't think they've improved an awful lot, but I do think they're playing the ball a bit more. They, they're still they still play zero rugby in their own half, and um, which I think is what we expected. But they did hold on to the ball. I felt um, a bit more in this game, and um, now they did at times run out of options and, and chip the ball away uh, like a good few times. But I still think that there's been some development to the game. But maybe is this just because they were playing Italy? Uh, will they go back to type now against you know Wales mm. next week? Will they kick the leather off the ball? But for me, I definitely thought England were improved. Um, but yeah, definitely still some question marks. I don't know what was your what was your take on this on this result? It's interesting that you say you think England were improved because obviously they just finished third at the World Cup, having um, pushed the Springboks all the way and beaten Argentina in the bronze playoff, but 
Italy, as we say, their last two games before this, they took 96 and 60 points in their last two games. Mm-hmm. Now they're losing to England by three. I think that kind of tells a story. That's more of a story about England to me than than about Italy. Um, obviously, Italy were a lot better, but they couldn't have got much worse, to be fair. And you, you're absolutely right. They kicked the ball a lot more. So I think in the first half, um, Garbisi, the scrum half, kicked the ball more in that first half than the the Italian scrum half kicked in their last two games put together. So that that shows the progression they've had there. I did think that their defence for the two tries they conceded was soft. It's a funny thing about England, because when they do attack, they can be very efficient and score quite quickly off an attack. Mm-hmm. It's just they they seem to get into the lead and then go, right, we're in the lead now, and then stop. Um, I think Borthwick is very, like, result over everything driven, which, you know, in, in international rugby, you can't slate that much, to be fair. But I don't know. I don't... I'm not sure how much England are progressing, to be honest, personally. I think Italy need to fix their defence. And it'll be interesting to see if they get a win, the Six Nations, or who against. I think a lot of people were giving uh, Crowley's Italy hype that they didn't deserve at times. Um, But there's one thing that I can say about the new coach. He looks good. Um, He does indeed. with With his black suit and things, he looks like... If you said which teams is this guy coaching, say Italy, he's an Italy coach. You know a France, you know a France rugby coach because he's slightly chubby and has upside down glasses <laughs> and just looking at looking at everybody as if they've just <laughs> crashed his car into his own back garden. Um, but yeah, it is hilarious though how you mentioned that about England when like you know they did go far in this World Cup, I, in this past World Cup. But just for me, just I guess when I mean improvement, I just. I just felt like they they played a bit more like literally they didn't want the ball in the World Cup for me and I think they had to develop their game plan and again we know that they had a relatively easy route to that semi final compared to other teams and um, so I I just think I just think I saw more but again I'd caveat that by saying maybe this is how they were always going to play against Italy regardless they were always going to try to develop their game plan or run it a bit more. Like they're playing Wales, what at home next week to in, in, yeah. in Twickenham? Like, I think that could be another six-three-nine-three game. I, I think it's going to be an atrocious game. I think it is going to be. I hope it's the last. You have the ball. Rain. No, you have the ball. No, you have the ball. Like, <laughs> it's going to be so bad. It's going to be so bad. But I'll tell you, if Wales win three-nil, I will take that any day of the week. Anyway, so that's the Six Nations. Should we talk some uh, Rugby Europe Championship? Yeah, some huge, uh, some big results. And look, and just one thing on this championship, I think it's great that it certainly seems, I don't know what your thoughts are, but from my perspective, it definitely feels like there are more rugby accounts on Twitter talking about this championship. And I think that's a good thing. We got a like off the official account, just want to throw that out there. Really <laughs> like I remember at the end of the last World Cup, somebody like Andy Goode, like he, I remember he put out a tweet saying, you know, this is a competition we need to, um, you know, promote. And I think like it's it's people like him, and then it's some there are some big rugby accounts on Twitter as well who are going all over this. They seem to be all over this, this content, sharing clips, sharing stats, sharing lineups. I think that that's really positive for this championship, and I think that's a lot of that's on the back of the World Cup, and obviously Portugal's, um, you know. Let's let's talk about their you know their success at the World Cups. I think that's just really positive um, as a whole. And again, having all these games available free to wear, 
um, on Rugby Europe TV as well. I think it's just just really positive. But let's maybe talk about some of the the results. So the big one, the big one in Belgium. Belgium beats Portugal. This was a hell of a shock. So I remember following uh, news stories of like the Welsh regions playing friendlies against Belgium and putting like tons of scores on them. Um, not literally tons, but you know. So this was a huge one. 10 6 to uh, Belgium. No scores in the second half. And just a massive shock. And it wasn't like Italy sent the B team, by the way. So you still had the likes of Storty was playing. Um, Appleton, the, the the inside centre, the captain was playing. It was yeah, it, it was a huge shock, and it really seems like Portugal really underperformed. Obviously, our, our good friend Francisco Isaac um, has spoken about how he is nervous about Portugal now because of the things going off behind the scenes, and you, we know they appointed a new coach, and then he left, and now they've got an interim coach in there. It seemed, you know, by by the sounds of it, Italy, uh, sorry, Italy, Portugal did have opportunities but failed to take them. Um, apparently, there's a really heavy um, uh, uh, penalty count was in Portugal's favour. So I think uh, Belgium um, that conceded a ton of penalties. I'm just trying to find the exact number here. Um, I can't find it now. It's, I want to say it was something like 19 penalties that Belgium conceded. Um, no, 18. I've got it now. 18 penalties conceded by Belgium, seven by Portugal. So I, I did I did a bit of writing about this a while ago. There isn't necessarily a link between penalties conceded and result. They don't necessarily always correlate. Um, like Scotland conceded more penalties than Wales this weekend as well. And I think um, Ireland might have, might have conceded more than France as well. So that's interesting. But yeah, without waffling on too much a huge shock and you could see the emotions there were belgian players crying it was a fairly decent crowd i've never really just seen just gonna say as well yeah. i don't know did what you saw a bit of that like it seemed like there's a fair few people there yeah certainly and again just having this game available on tv was huge and again seeing big accounts share this news i think compared to previous years more people are talking about this championship and i think what a way to for the weekends like what a result for that tournament as well to have Belgium beaten um, Portugal but yeah it was definitely a big crowd and it seems like there was a good crowd as well at the Germany v Georgia game as well which is um, again uh, great to see. Yeah and a surprisingly competitive game I think because it finished 28 points to 12 in favour of Georgia but um, apparently again Georgia didn't play very well um, there were, I saw some tweets from some Georgian accounts saying it's one of the worst performances they've ever seen from a, a Georgia team. Um, interesting thing about this is um, anyone who tuned into the top Cators on Sunday night would have seen Lobjanice and Gigashvili turning out for too long. And I didn't I didn't twig that at first when I was watching the game. And then I was like, oh, hang on a second. Shouldn't they have been in Germany? And so I asked Francisco and he told me that it is not uncommon for these rugby Europe championship players to sometimes request that they can play for their club size. So we know that a lot of club size, especially in France, get annoyed when their international players um, go away to play international. Like the famous, like most famous one might be Lee Halfpenny got sacked by Toulon for going and playing on a Lions tour. Like they, they wanted him to stay with them and turn down the chance to play for the Lions. He went and then he lost his contract. Um, 
So, yeah, so Lobjanit saying Gigashvili weren't playing. I think there were a couple of others missing as well. And I'm told that Rafael Storti for Portugal, he's going to miss a rugby Europe Championship game at some point to play for Bezier. So that's something about this championship that I didn't know. Um, so maybe that contributed to um, uh, Georgia struggling slightly more than you might expect. Obviously, Richard Cockrell's first game in charge of Georgia as well. So maybe there's some settling in there, um, trying some new combinations. But yeah, uh, just it's nice to see that it's competitive. And, you know, I've I've spoken to a couple of people who have got experience of rugby in Germany and some some of them have said rugby's never really going to catch on in Germany. They don't think. But, you know, if they have competitive games like this and if you as you're saying that they have good crowds then maybe that will turn around one day. Um, mm. So I don't know if you've got anything else to add on those ones, maybe but just interesting. Yeah. Lots of subplots. Yeah, lots of subplots. And just on player availability, I think it, it also says a lot potentially, unfortunately, about the, the nature of this competition and maybe the, I don't know, the reputation of it and, and whether or not, like if the, if those were Six Nations games, there's no way in hell any of those players will be pent lining out um, for their clubs um, in the top 14. Um, but hopefully we'll get to a stage where this, you know, this is a proper yeah, you know, I don't want to say a proper like it is a proper competition. It it does have a you know a degree of prestige to it. It is growing, and um, there is obviously there are obviously big crowds going to the uh, games and all that. But it just it obviously isn't anywhere near the Six Nations. So I just think the closer it gets to that, you know, I think we'll see less and less players maybe take up, um, you know, use their time to to play for their clubs in the weekends or whatnot. But. Mm. It certainly seems to be going in the right direction. And I think there were a co- couple of other results from that. Um, I think Netherlands pips, uh, were pipped by Spain and yeah, Romania so apparently, beat Poland. Apparently the Netherlands um, missed a kick late on to potentially win it. So that would have been a hell of a result. And a lot of people are very excited about the Netherlands. Um, obviously, they, there was a big game. Was it the Cheetahs played in Amsterdam? And that was very well attended. Yeah. Um, and there was loads, apparently, of Netherlands fans at the World Cup. So they could. So Squid Rugby tweeted that they, Netherlands could be 2027's um, Chile. And that would be fantastic. Um, and the Dutch know how to support their their teams. You will see like whole grandstands full of orange uh, T-shirts. That's how they, they roll. So kind of look forward to that. And then the other one was uh, Romania beat uh, Poland. Uh, don't know too much about that game. Apparently, there wasn't that much to write home about about that one. Uh, fairly routine, 20 points to eight or something like that for Romania. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on all of these results going forward. Hopefully get to watch a few games. All the rugby was on top of each other this weekend. All of the games were all on at the same time. So it wasn't the easiest to follow. But more, tune in next week for more Rugby Europe Championship. Great stuff, mate. We'll move on to some of the roundup of the weekend's action, starting with the women's rugby. What went yeah, on the we... uh, Celtic Challenge? Uh, do you want to do Celtic Challenge first? Okay. So, uh, Britain Thunder, my team, got their first ever win against Glasgow up in North Wales, played the first game up there. Um, fantastic. Super happy about that. It was coming, definitely. Uh, you could see our performances were getting better, and I think we were unlucky in a couple of games not to get the results. Um, so congratulations to them. We're now into the incredibly confusing playoff. So I've now been told how the playoff works. So the League of Six splits into two groups of three. One group of three is first to third and the other group is fourth to sixth. 
and then they all play each other. So that's why there's only two games a week. So one of the teams gets a bye week. So I think it's Wolfhounds, Clovers and Edinburgh in the top league. And it is Lightning, Thunder and Glasgow in the other league. And then they all play each other. So that's what's happening. We figured it out. Big shout out to Big M, uh, who I know sometimes listens to this off the Scarlet's pod, who explains that to me. Uh, what else happened? Wolfhounds uh, finished top with a 100% record and will be top seeds in the playoff. What happened? Worth of games. Don't stop for anybody. Not even the Six Nations. Um, so it was UBB snuck a win out in Toulon. Toulon were winning for what felt like the majority of the game. Uh, and then Bordeaux uh, snuck it at the end. Yeah, we had our friend Maz messaging us, uh, telling us about all of the Toulon forums again are all popping off. Nobody's happy. Everybody's furious. Um, all I can say was, while Dan Bigger was on the pitch, Toulon were winning. And then he came off and they lost. Correlation is not causation, but that's what happened. Uh, what else happened? We had uh, Stade Francais, SF Paris, took top spots, which is weird to think, because I've watched a fair bit of top 14 and Stade Francais have not like impressed me too much in any game, but they now sit top weirdly. Um, they beat Ras. Uh, no, they didn't beat Rassing. Uh, Rassing lost to per- Perpignan. Uh, I believe uh, Stade Francais beat Poe. And uh, Toulouse beat Bayonne. And that was the one where everyone's seen all the clips of T- Dupont wearing the number 10 jersey and doing ridiculous no-look reverse passes and things like that in what I think is one of his last games before he goes to play sevens. So that was very exciting. Talking about, talking of exciting, we had some unusual rugby matches this weekend, didn't we, Ender? We did indeed. So we had no Japan Rugby League 1, uh, but we did have the inaugural cross-border rugby, uh, which is a, it's basically a series of friendly games between Japanese sides and super rugby sides from New Zealand. So there were two games on the weekend. The Panasonic Wild Knights beat last season's Super Rugby finalists, the Chiefs, 38-14. That's mad. Um, in a big result, yeah, for Japan League One. Now, it wasn't the Chiefs' first team by any means, but it was still a, a big result. A big statement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then also uh, the Blues did have a win over Cheslin, Kobe and San Kane's Suntory Sungoliath and they had a big win and it was 43 to 7 so that was to the Blues but yeah big result there for the Wild Knights um, did not see that one coming quite frustratingly as well it does turn out that both of these games were broadcast in Ireland and the UK and worldwide on New Zealand Rugby's NZR Plus app website Never heard of thing it. that a lot of other people don't know about um, but yeah Got very little coverage, and both of those games were actually available. Now, they were at horrific times. I think it was something like half five in the morning. But it would have been nice to, to know about that. Um, but I did get in touch with them, and I'll move on to what coverage they're going to be covering um, this coming weekend uh, shortly. But there was also another interesting game of the weekend. There was there were 41,000 people at a sold-out uh, Porky Cueve in court crazy. as the URC champions. Yeah, Munster um, hosted That's got to be similar to the number of people who are going to be in Dublin watching Italy, Ireland, Italy, this coming weekend. It's got to be close. There will be, fi- be 50,000. That, 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 that game against Italy is sold out. And right. so there'll be about 40,000. But like during an international window, that is incredibly impressive for essentially a glorified 
friendly game. I think that was just absolutely, yeah, an absolutely incredible result. And it just shows you the following that, that Munster have. Um, it was I in the just, um, uh, Gaelic football ground, wasn't it? Yeah, only the second ever game to be held at the recently redeveloped stadium. Um, last season, Munster beat South Africa A there as well. Um, Munster have a habit of doing well against Southern Hemisphere teams when they play at home in Munster. Um, what else was going on this weekend in the English Championship? Uh, Ealing beat Harbury and Cornish Pirates um, are still in second place uh, after a win away in Bedford. And Coventry slipped down to fourth after losing to Caldy. Uh, there were no AIL games this weekend, but I believe there was some Welsh Premiership action. Hugh? There was one Welsh Prem game, and it was uh, another repeat of last year's final between Slandovery and Cardiff. It was at the Arms Park, and Slandovery absolutely battered Cardiff. It was um, looking close at one point. Cardiff were 19 points to seven. In the lead, but in the end, uh, Landovery scored a total of 54 points at the Arms Park. They're now 11 points clear at the top with a game in hand over second place and looking pretty imperious. They've lost one game all season. Yeah, uh, up the Dovers, they've done extraordinarily well. Right, let's wrap up with the TV guide. There is one thing I just wanted to mention. We did briefly uh, skip over just the Premiership Women's Rugby action and uh, just wanted to highlight that Gloucester did beat Leicester this past weekend and Bristol um, had a win over Exeter Chiefs. Saracens is still on top and Gloucester are just one point behind. We just want to make sure we cover everyone. Uh, just quickly mention the TV guide, folks. So there isn't as much rugby coming up this weekend, but there is six nations. There's under 26 nations. As we mentioned, there's Rugby Europe Championship action. And there will also, interestingly, be a Super Rugby preseason game between Highlanders and the Hurricanes. And that game has been shown on NZR Plus. So New Zealand Rugby's streaming platform, it's free to sign up and there will be coverage of that game. It's on in the early hours of Saturday morning. Uh, we will mention it in our Friday morning mini pod. We'll give the exact time and everything, but it is free to sign up. I did reach out to them and ask if they'll be showing. So there are still two cross-border games coming up this weekend. I did ask the platform if they'll be showing those games. They didn't confirm. Um, they said they can't confirm at this time. So it sounds like they mightn't be, but at least there's one other game that you guys can watch, which is the friendly between yeah the Highlanders and the Hurricanes, because Super Rugby is just around the corner. Uh, I think that's it from me. Any final words from yourself, Hugh? Not for me. Uh, look forward to catching up again next week and I hope everyone enjoys their rugby this weekend. Cheers. Thanks, folks. Sports Social Podcast Network.